There are few things that make people successful. Taking a step forward to change their lives is one successful trait, but it takes some time to get there. How do you move forward to greet the success that awaits you? Welcome to Next Steps Forward with host Chris Meek. Each week, Chris brings on another guest who has successfully taken the next steps forward. Now, here is Chris Meek. Welcome to this week's edition of Next Steps Forward. I'm your host, Chris Meek. As always, it's great to have you with us again. Our guest today is Gita Berry. Gita is Executive Vice President and General Manager of Immersive Healthcare at Penumbra Incorporated, which is headquartered in Alameda, California. Penumbra is a global healthcare company focused on innovative neurovascular and immersive health therapies. The company and its employees support healthcare providers, hospitals, and clinics in more than 100 countries. With more than 25 years in the medical device industry, Gita leads a diverse team of developers and specialists to bring virtual reality-based immersive technology to a broad range of healthcare settings to address various health conditions. Prior to joining Penumbra, Gita worked at Stryker Corporation, which is another one of the world's leading medical technology companies. There, she was in product management, strategy, business development, and information technology. Gita received a bachelor's degree in biomedical engineering from the University of Miami and an executive MBA from Santa Clara University. Gita Berry, welcome to Next Steps Forward. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me today. Thanks for your time. And before we start, um, you know, my, my listeners know that I'm a diehard fan of my beloved alma mater, Syracuse University, and I didn't know that you went to Miami. And so we've got a little ACC beef here today. Yeah, the U, I got you. I got you. So we'll, you're still a nice person. We'll, we'll keep you on, but I'm just going to keep that in the back of my mind if that's okay. I appreciate that. And go Canes. Thank you. <laughs> we'll talk during football season. Different, different conversation. So, Gita, I shared a little of your background in the open. But how and when did you choose the medical technology field for your career? So it's a great question, Chris, right? And I was one of those kids in high school that had no idea where they wanted to go in life. And so I said, I'm going to go to medical school. I came from a long line of physicians. My dad was a cardiologist. My uncle's an ophthalmologist. My other uncle's an oncologist. My aunt is a general practitioner. My grandmother was a physician, right? Like physicians all over the place. And so you look at me, you think, okay, she's half Indian. My guess is, yes, there's some medicine in that background, right? Um, what was interesting about that, though, is that as I got into college and I started to take pre-med classes, is that I realized that I really enjoyed math and science. Um, and so I always loved physics. I always loved math. And so the biomedical engineering field was originally something that I said I like, but I didn't really appreciate what it was all about. And so as I was getting closer to applying to medical school, I started to think through, do I really want to do this? Um, what I realized, which is actually really interesting because it's actually affected my entire career is that I really enjoy the puzzle. I love the innovation. I love creating things that are new, whether that's a physical thing or if that's a process or working with people to work through big, large company strategies. And so that led me down this path of maybe med school wasn't the right place for me because there was a whole lot of memorization. Um, it might have also been my organic chemistry grades and my, my biochemistry grades. We won't discuss those right now. Um, but it was really a passion for this kind of work. And so I actually thought I was going to go to grad school um, and to so study soft tissue biomechanics. I had amazing professors. Um, I was one of three women in my undergraduate biomedical engineering classes. Um, we were actually one of the first cohorts at the University of Miami actually studying undergrad um, level biomedical engineering. So 
I feel like I was at the very forefront of this biomedical engineering field for the longest time. It was a graduate level course um, and something you would specialize in after you chose either mechanical engineering or electrical engineering. Um, but for me, we were part of this first horizon. And interestingly, at the University of Miami, there was this company uh, that was also in the Miami area that had been in Miami for a long time called Cordis Corporation. And there was a relationship between the University of Miami and Cordis um, as a number of engineers peeled into that organization because Cordis in its original days before it built its interventional device product line actually made pacemakers um, and actually in the 80s got in trouble with the FDA actually with pacemakers um, but had built not just a pacing business that they then eventually sold off but also built as the cardiology field transitioned into more interventional devices and away from pacing um, and it was it happenstanced that that I went to this university that had this relationship with medical device companies. Um, but I got, I started to fall in love with academia. Um, and so as I fell in love with academia, I said, Oh, I'm going to go get my master's degree. I'll go study soft tissue biomechanics. I was looking at a couple of different schools and I decided to write a resume um, because I thought I need to get the skill set, right? Like good college student. I'm like, I'm going to learn how to write a resume. I'm not going to need it for a while. The university's asking me to do this. And I'm so old that like we didn't really have our own laptops. Um, so you went to the school computer lab um, and there was no separate software. It was something in the computer lab where you had to enter it, right? Like it wasn't on a separate device. So I started writing my resume um, and I never finished it kind of oddly. Um, but then I got a phone call. Cordis was actually actively looking through resumes from the university. I did not know this. And they invited me to a weekend interview extravaganza in Miami. So poor college student went, oh, cool. I'm writing my resume and I'm going to get some interview skills because I'm going to go get my, I'm going to go get my master's degree. So they wine me, they dine me. I have no idea what I'm interviewing for. I don't even care that I'm interviewing. Um, long story short, I was interviewing for their management development program and didn't know it. Um, they had narrowed resumes from around the country from 500 down to 20. I was one of the 20 people they had selected for that program. And at 8 a.m. Monday morning, I got a call to be one of their five um, that they had selected. And so I sort of stumbled into this field because then I went, hmm, more debt in graduate school or should I get paid? Um, and so that's how I chose this path. Um, life is an adventure, isn't it, Chris? <laughs> that is an awesome story. I, I had no idea. And we've worked together for what, a year and a half? So and I, I had we no have. idea. It's a little crazy. And I'm also um, chuckling. You're talking about your grades. And I originally went to school for aerospace engineering. And I, <laughs> I enjoy sailing. I was designed the next America's Cup sailboat winner. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, after my chemistry and physics grades freshman year, I thought, let me rethink what I really want to do when I grow up. So uh, hence finance. It all works itself out sometimes. It does. Yeah. We figure things out as we go. It's, it's a journey. So tell us a little bit yeah. now about Penumbra. So Penumbra is a company that has been around since 2004. Uh, when it was founded by our co-founders, um, Adam Elsesser and Dr. Arani Bose. Um, Adam and Arani were college roommates at Stanford. Um, one went down the medical school path, much like my college roommate. Um, and Adam went down the path of being going off to law school. Um, and through lots of different connections, they stayed friends. Dr. Bose was actually in um, in not just medicine, right? He was starting his practice. He was in fellowship earliest careers of earliest days of his career as the neurointerventional field started to blossom. Um, up until the early 90s, if you had something um, that needed to be addressed in the vascular system of your brain, 
you would have to go into surgery, classic brain surgery. You would see a neurosurgeon. Um, but he happened to be at one of the forefront medical centers that were looking at what we call interventional treatments, where instead of drilling into your skull and taking off your skull cap, not going to get too gory, right? What we do now instead is that we access your blood vessels in your brain through what we call the highways, your arteries and your veins in your body. And we do that through a small hole that is formed just through a needle puncture in your groin. Um, and he was at the very forefront of this technology. He was in New York City at one of the most prestigious institutions. And because of that experience, he had all these great ideas and innovations that were starting to pop into his head. So he called a friend, his best friend from college, and said, I have an idea. Will you help me start a company? Um, and that actually led to their first company. Their first company was very much focused on the treatment of brain diseases, like what we call hemorrhagic stroke. Um, which is the focus of an aneurysm that happens on a blood vessel. An aneurysm is essentially like a little bubble um, that happens when your vessel wall weakens. Um, and the goal is to protect that. Um, and how do you protect that from what we call rupturing, such that if blood gets into your brain, that's how you actually have strokes um, because blood and cerebrospinal fluid don't really mix. You don't want that to happen. Um, and so he had been innovating these types of technologies, had an incredible idea for how to help an aneurysm treatment. So they started their first company. That's not Penumbra. Penumbra is actually their second company because they sold that first company and said they have more to do and to treat. And so they changed from, from what was is a hemorrhagic stroke, which is only about 13% of strokes that happen, um, to what we call ischemic strokes, which is when, you're, when your blood in your brain is not flowing because there's an obstruction, something, there's a blood clot, there's a piece of foreign material that maybe came off, off your heart valve, for example, that comes and gets lodged in a vessel in your brain and you have to remove it in order to return blood flow to those vessels. There was no surgical treatment option, right? So where you, with an aneurysm, you could go in and you could, you could actually put a little clip. I know that sounds so rudimentary, but think about it as you're actually clipping off that, that little bubble. Um, in this case, they were trying to find a way and they he had an incredible idea to essentially use a mini vacuum to suction out clot from the brain. This was unheard of. This is a crazy thought. Like you could take a tiny little vacuum to suck a clot out of your brain. Um, but this is what needed to be done. And this is what really is 87% of the strokes that are out there. Um, if you're not familiar with stroke, this is Stroke Awareness Month. So thank you again, Chris, for this opportunity. Um, things to think about with stroke, um, just this is my random aside public service announcement, right? Um, is you can think of an acronym called FAST. Um, one is facial. So if you have any facial droop, if you have any arm weakness, um, if you have any slurred speech, so S for speech, and then T for time. If you have any of those symptoms or all three at once, time is of the essence. Please call. Please call 911 and get treatment. Um, so this is, that time is the big factor because that is what we're trying to, you want to get that clot out because your brain is starting to die around that area that isn't getting blood flow. And that's how Penumbra started. That was where we started in 2004. People thought we were crazy. Um, the business was crazy. Could you really do this? Should you, could you help these patients? These patients weren't even getting to the interventionists for this kind of treatment. But through a whole lot of hard work, a lot of incredible innovation through neurointerventionists all across the world, this has become the gold standard treatment. 
Um, and so Penumbra took that technology. We don't just do that in the brain today. We also do that in all sorts of blood vessels all around the body, arteries and veins. So for people who have deep vein thrombosis, we can remove that clot. We can remove clot in the arms. We move clot from the lungs for patients who have pulmonary embolisms. Pulmonary embolisms are just as devastating as a stroke. They treat typically it is younger patients. Um, you typically think of strokes as older patients, but actually strokes can happen to anyone at any stage in your life. It's actually a misnomer to think of that as only as older patients. Um, but pulmonary embolisms tend to be younger patients um, and more likely female. Um, and so we've innovated this technology to be able to help all over the body to help as many patients as we possibly can. Um, in addition to that, we have access devices, we have embolization products. So we've just grown and grown that from these two college roommates who decided that they wanted to go help a whole lot of people and a whole lot of patients because of through the work of an incredible number of interventionalists, not just in the neuro field, but also in the radiology field and the cardiology field. So many incredible physicians that are out there treating patients with penumbra technologies today. So truly a great American story. Truly. And we manufacture in the United States. Crazy. Even better. <laughs> it is crazy, actually. So you just talked about some of the great things um, Penumbra's been doing since inception. Mm -hmm. And these are things in the medical device field that you could hardly think of you know, 10 or 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. What's ahead? What do the next 10 or 20 years look like? Oh my goodness. I wish I knew, honestly, right? For us in the in Penumbra space, we have so much that we can continue to do in the areas of vascular thrombectomy, there are so many more patients to help, so many more, so much more work that can be done to help patients. Um, the neuro field will continue to expand. What we're doing at Penumbra is that we're also expanding out of what we call the operating room or the surgical suite um, into the rehabilitation space um, and actually even more spaces with our immersive healthcare technology. And that's where I focus all of my time today. Um, I spent the first chunk majority of the chunk of my career, I would say probably the first 25 years of my career working on those interventional devices. Um, so whether that was at Penumbra with our incredible devices for thrombectomy and embolization and access, or at other companies focused on other kinds of catheters or stents or stent grafts or balloon catheters, there's so many different te technologies um, for cardiology, radiology, neuro procedures. Um, immersive healthcare is this next frontier for us. Um, you're all thinking, what in the world is she talking about immersive healthcare? That doesn't even make any sense. No one never heard about that from my physician. Um, what we are working on today is we're working on how do we bring virtual reality um, in a way that you can immerse yourself to help you with whichever condition that you're trying to work from. We're starting in rehabilitation. Rehab is where we started because that was an extension of our stroke patients. It was the, how do we continue to help this patient group? Not everyone has access to care. Not everyone is a candidate for me mechanical thrombectomy. Even if you are a candidate for mechanical thrombectomy, you may still have symptoms of your stroke even after we remove that clot. So our passion for stroke patients led us into this area of rehab. It led us on a crazy path for our CEO, Adam Elsesser, to even get introduced to the technology that came from our partner, Sixth Sense, um, that was all around full body tracking and how could you do this with VR in the first place? Um, and so we're applying the concepts of VR, we're applying the concepts of immersion to really engage patients in a totally different way. Um, because if you've ever been to rehab, I've been to rehab, yes, knees, sports med, 
maybe a couple of times. Um, it's not exactly fun. Um, and it hurts a little, doesn't it? Yeah, a um, little bit. Just a little. And when you know it's going to hurt, you tend to not move it because you may not try as hard because you're trying to do something else. Um, what we're doing with VR is that we are, what I describe, we're gamifying rehabilitation exercises. And so you're not watching yourself and watching that limb move. Um, what you're watching is yourself move inside of this incredible gamified experience that maybe removes that barrier of, can I do this? Um, and in some cases, particularly if you've got a situation with neuro rehab, where maybe your brain isn't connecting your ability to do some of that, like, I can't do that. It's actually saying those synapses have, they need to rewire themselves. They actually start to rewire themselves because they can see themselves doing it in VR when maybe they can't see themselves doing it in real life. So that's for us where Penumbra is headed in terms of where med medical technology is going is bringing this merging tech with what we call sort of traditional healthcare approaches. And are you finding with the immersive therapy, um, people are actually going to do more rehab? And I asked that in a way that, you know, sometimes like you pointed out, we may not want to do it because it hurts or we'll show that we're, we're weak and we can't do it. Um, there might be a stigma associated with going with rehab and as to your point, you know, gamifying the, the industry, are you finding that to get more people to come in or is it just a 21st century new way of, of therapy? So the good news is, is that we're starting to hear this from our customers. Um, we launched this technology in the middle of the pandemic, which you think, why would anyone launch something new in the middle of the pandemic? Um, our goal was to help people and help people in a different way to motivate them to come back because there were so many issues, um, so many considerations that we had to think about. Whether like, do I want to go to rehab? Am I going to work? Am I going to risk that for COVID? Well, if we could help help get you started and have you come in and work with your therapist in a new way and engage with you and advance you, of course you're going to want to do that in the middle of a pandemic. That sounds great. Um, so what we're starting to hear from our customers, one actually just talked with us, those, it's called an arrival rate. The people coming back is already higher um, for those who are using VR um, than those who are coming in for traditional therapy. Now, we're at the very beginning. Uh, we've got a lot more data to collect. We've got so much opportunity out there, but all the signs are there. The patient stories we get, people say, I wasn't having fun coming to rehab. I want to go to rehab now. Um, I was just with a couple of a couple of stroke patients who had an opportunity to use our latest system with like some of our most latest, most innovative content, expanding out our platform now to 36 different activities and billions of ways to use the platform, who said, I want my session to be longer. They want they are enjoying their rehab session so much they want to be there longer. They want that kind of experience. So we're at that earliest phase, like all healthcare technologies, you start in an anecdotal phase where people start to tell you how it works and we're building our way into starting to build that evidence today. You're a very senior executive at a medical device technology company. Sure. My career has been the financial services sector, which mm -hmm. historically has been a male dominated industry for decades, if not centuries. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, unfortunately still tends to be. How does the medical device technology field compare? Is it a good one for women? And if so, why? I would argue that probably every field is great for women if you have people who are passionate about what they're doing. Um, the medical technology field is no different, right? I think it's just a question of, are you interested in this and are we engaging with women in this field? I have been lucky that I have had, even from the earliest days, my first managers were women actually in this space. Um, I think of them as trailblazers. Um, they have been some of the greatest influences 
in my career, I've also had some incredible male leaders who have been such great role models, mentors, who really have never questioned whether or not um, there was a gender bias in this field. Um, I think so often it really comes down to people and it really comes down to what do you value? What we see in the medical technology space more often than not is we want people who are really passionate for patients. Um, and so you see a lot of that. We have a lot of that in this field. Um, I think the biggest challenge, just like most other sectors, is just making sure that you're asking women, are you enjoying this? And presenting those opportunities to them um, because they may not always ask. Women are not great at asking. Um, women are much better at saying, okay, I'm working hard. I'm doing it. I'm going to earn it. Um, I encourage women all the time. If you want something, go ask for it. Um, no one's going to ever penalize you for asking. Um, especially if you just ask it as a question, right? If you demand it, eh, let's see, right? Um, but truly getting out there and asking, and I do that for all of my own team members, right? I, I tell my team all the time, there would be none of this. You could have the best product on the planet, but if you don't have a team, that product goes nowhere. You could have an average product, but with an excellent team, I bet that product goes far. Um, so it really is all comes down to people. And I think what we value, I can speak specifically about Penumbra. Penumbra has, we have never had a, I would call diversity program at Penumbra because we've always actually been really diverse. Uh, we actually don't have a majority from an ethnic background perspective. Um, part of that is we live in the Bay Area. We do have that. Um, we're already in a very diverse area um, out in California. But from a gender diversity perspective, we've actually, we've focused on hiring the best people. Um, and for us, that has led us to a very diverse group. Um, we've actually, at times, we've been a little bit more female than male as an organization. At the moment, I think we're just about 50-50. Um, but it's been because we've been trying to find and source the right talent. Um, so for me, the medical technology field has been all around understanding what a great leader looks like. Um, and finding those great leaders to help me continue to grow me in my career. And that's been women, that's been men, and they've always been incredibly supportive. Again, if they're out there, thank you, because I would not be here without you. <laughs> well, what a novel idea of hiring somebody because they've got the right skill set and talent that you're looking for, not because they check a because box. Because they look like you? Right, <laughs> right. You know, and, and great leaders aren't found or born by someone being a box that was checked. And so appreciate Thank the candidates and, and the way that the number handles that. And so it's a conversation for another day. Um, so we'll table that one, but I, I appreciate that insight. For sure. And, and we're going to talk much more about work-life balance later, but I saw a comment from someone who said, stop talking about life balance and focus on how to get more candidates for leadership roles. Those are different problems and should not be mixed up. What would or should the process of getting more women focused on leadership roles look like? So I think that women are focused on leadership roles. I think, again, it's about asking women what they are looking for in leadership roles. And I, and I don't even actually think today, and maybe it's that I live in California, right? But I know a lot of men who want flexibility in their jobs too. They want to be able to spend time with their kids. They want to be able to be there. They want paternity leave, right? Um, it's everyone wants these things. It's just been traditionally, we've asked that question of women more than more so than of men. Today, what we do, particularly at Penumbra, I do with my own team, I ask that question for everyone. So I think if we think about this as an everyone exercise in terms of what does everyone need, 
that will encourage women to step up and say, hey, I want that role. Um, but it just requires a little bit of flexibility. And flexibility means not just whether I have family. You may have family. You may have friends. You may have furry friends. You may have, you may have interests. You may have things that are really important to you. Um, the real question is, is thinking about this, about diverse thinking. It's about encouraging that diverse thinking and demonstrating that you want a diverse group of leaders because that makes your company stronger. I think valuing diversity and really understanding that value of diversity is what brings women and men of all different, whether it's genders, whether it's ethnicities, whether it's all different backgrounds. Um, I have the pleasure today of leading a team that comes from so many different industries. We also have industry-based diversity because no one's ever done what we're doing with immersive healthcare. So I have teams of people coming from the video game industry, right? Interactive entertainment. I have people that come from traditional software development. I have people from medical device. I have people from all different ranges of medical device. I have people from online web services, right? So literally like internet-based companies. We're all coming together today to solve this interesting challenge of immersive healthcare. I need every one of those brains and I am so thankful for all of them, but they all bring all of their mix to what we are bringing and they bring different cultural influences from those industries. I value that diversity immensely from my team and we are creating our own new norms. I could have done this and said, hey, we're gonna be all, we could be all interactive entertainment. Everything should come from the game industry. That wouldn't work because we wouldn't understand this space. We wouldn't understand our customer base. I could make it all medical device, wouldn't work work. We'd have no idea how to build a game, right? And what, what is good about a game? So having that diverse background, having people from all different experiences, having different genders, the gender and ethnicity tends to pull when you start to think about who do you really need in that space? So it's kind of a question about the, do you want to be innovative or do you want to be like everyone else? I like the innovative part. <laughs> Absolutely. It's more fun, right? Way more fun. Way more fun. <laughs> So you talked about flexibility and leadership and you know, men wanting that as well. We all know, or at least should know, advancement doesn't just happen because someone stays in one place for a long time. You obviously have to earn it. Yep. What advice do you have for young professionals in the workplace today who want to advance? You know, what should they be, should be doing? How the new trend of remote working affect that? Things along those lines. So I would, there's a couple of things that I would recommend. So, and, and for me in my career, there was not a straight line. Um, I don't believe in straight lines. I think, I think you can do that. I think you could say, okay, I'm going to do this and plug to the next thing and sort of build your way across the hierarchy. I think that makes you a great functional leader. I don't know that that makes you a great general manager, for example. Um, for me, it's about embracing the adventure. You should embrace the path that you're on. Um, take that special project that may not fit. Um, my last year at Stryker, for example, I thought they were crazy. They offered me a role to lead an IT team. I had never run IT. I have no IT background. That sounds crazy. Um, but they needed a business person. They needed a person who understood the business. And they very much, the CIO looked at me and said, I'll teach you IT. He's still a dear friend, a dear mentor. I am so thankful for him. I could never have predicted that one year of IT would set me up to be even smarter in the role that I'm in today. So embrace the adventure, take those unique projects, don't hesitate to do something adjacent because those all make you stronger. We've been visiting with Gita Berry and we'll be right back after a short break. 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The White House doctor makes house calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We hear, just be you, a lot these days. But who are you? What is an authentic life? The answer to these questions and more will be answered on The Authentic Living Show, hosted by Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of today's spiritual, psychological experts and will provide her own wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your I am. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Next Steps Forward. To reach Chris Meek or his guest on the show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to chris at nextstepsforward.com. Now, back to this week's show. And we are back. I'm Chris Meek, host of Next Steps Forward. And today, we're with Gita Berry, Executive Vice President and General Manager of Immersive Healthcare Company, Penumbra, in Alameda, California. So Gita, I mentioned work-life balance, and you said before that, quote, there's no such thing as work-life balance, it's just called life, which is the title of today's show. And you say that as a corporate executive, a wife, and a mom. Explain that philosophy, or, or is it an attitude, to our listeners, and how it might help empower them. Well, I think oftentimes people say to me, I don't know how you do it. Um, or how do you, how do I manage work-life balance? And for me, I do. I just think, think of it as life. Think about it as, as a number of intentional choices that you're making. Um, and just like anything else in life, I, you intend, you planned your weekend, right? Chris is going to plan his weekend different than how is going to plan her weekend. Um, no different is that in terms of a business perspective. Um, I have made intentional choices throughout my career. Um, my intentional choices have been, I'm a mom. I always put mom first for husband. Sorry, dude. Um, <laughs> I won't tell. I'm a business leader. I'm a partner. I'm a daughter. I'm a sister. And honestly, I'm an avid hiker as often as I possibly can be. But there's a whole bunch of other things that I'm not. Um, and I chose that because I chose these other things. Um, I chose not to be a master chef. I chose not to always prioritize my workout, um, though I do try to do that a little bit better on a regular basis. Um, I may not always be the life of the party. Um, I have chosen the kids. I've chosen their soccer schedules um, over some of those other choices. And so for me, that is work-life balance. You can't measure it. There are going to be times when your business needs more from you. 
um, people always say to me, I can't believe you travel as much. My kids are actually amazing because they know how much I travel. We actually communicate in a totally different way. They value travel. They see what I do. We talk about business at the dinner table. They understand what's going on. I love being able to share those rich experiences with them. Um, but there are going to be times, and maybe I don't hit them as often as some people do, um, just because of the choices that I've made, when work is going to need a little bit less of you, so you have more time to focus on those things. Maybe earlier in my career, I had more of those opportunities. This stage of my career leading this business, I feel this incredible commitment to all of the people on my team to help advance them every day. Um, so what I'm trying to think about it as a marathon, not a sprint. Don't try to measure it every day. Don't try to say, do I have work-life balance today? Think about it over a period of time. Think about an intentional choice and what you're willing to give. Because I guarantee you, if you're in a role where you're having fun and you're making those intentional choices, that role will give back to you. It may not always be clearly a bit. You also have to think about it as, is it giving back to you in terms of what you value? Um, for some people, that can be monetary. For some people, that's the reward and the recognition that comes with the role that you're in. And that could be progression. Generally, we're all not in nonprofits, right? So there generally probably is some financial compensation that comes with that. But we all could choose those roles that will choose the highest salary. I don't find that always those roles are the most fun role. Um, you've got to have fun in what you're doing. And if you're in a role that you're not having fun, I would ask yourself whether or not that's the right intentional choice to make. Um, and again, you may choose that because your other choice is that you love something in your personal life. Um, there are certainly plenty of people. I have a dear friend from college who, for the longest time, if you go back to sailboats, Chris, um, was an America's Cup, America's Cup racer. Um, she made an intentional choice to do that. She's now in a different mode of what she's done, but she's brought all those things together. It's just an incredible series of life choices. Um, these are the things that we do. Um, you have to decide on a lifestyle. You have to decide what's important to you and do what you're passionate for. If you do all of that, you will work-life balance will solve itself. Bottom line. There's a country song I like to quote on the show with a country singer. Mm -hmm. One of the verses is, do what you love, but call it work. Yeah. And, and you just summed it up. I think that's totally fair, right? You just sum, totally summed that up. And in terms of the, the balance, you know, the pandemic changed things for everybody, obviously. Um, but mm -hmm. I know when you and I have been talking over the last year and a half or two years, you more often than not were in the office. Yeah. Did that, did the pandemic at all change your work-life balance? Did you find a little more time at home, a little more flexibility because of what was going on? Or did so your previous the role? Pandemic, Sorry, the pandemic kept me home, um, which was weird because I was on the road a lot. Um, and I dearly still miss a lot of my friends when I, and my role changed actually in the middle of the pandemic. So before the pandemic, I was probably in Europe every six to eight weeks. Um, for a week out of that six to eight. Um, and I miss those people. So if you guys are watching, I'm so sorry, I still miss you. Um, but so my role changed because I didn't have all of that travel. And so I did, I had more time at home and that gave me incredible time to connect with my kids in a different way. Um, but at the same time, it also gave me more time to connect with my team, which was incredible. Um, and it gave me time to focus on what that looked like. Um, do I value the in-person experience? Oh. I totally value the in-person experience. To me, the reason I traveled so often to Europe pre-pandemic is because I loved the people. People would always say to me, that's a long flight, especially from the West Coast, right? So you're traveling from San Francisco deep into Europe. You're in an 11-hour, 12-hour flight. People are like, why do you do that to yourself so often? 
I didn't do it because I love flying. No one, no one goes, yay, I can't wait to get on that plane. Now I have to say, I have missed some plane flights because I do enjoy what I can do with some email and that time because I'm not scheduled in the meeting. So there is some of that. Um, but what I love are the people on the other end, the engagement. For me, that one-on-one experience, that group experience when you're with a group of people, this medium, right, where we've gone to video is wonderful from a transactional perspective. Um, you can get a lot accomplished, but you miss a lot of people on the in-between. So you miss a lot about the, tell me what you did over your weekend and that funny little thing that happened, or you noticed that person, you know, half trip on their shoe, right? And you've now got a joke to talk about. I half trip on my shoe and people can look at me and enjoy some of that. Um, I miss those interactions. And so I'm so thankful to see more people in the office. I also respect those who are remote. Um, I respect those people who find that efficiency and who enjoyed it. I worked remotely pre-pandemic um, in my career for four and a half years. Um, I found that I'm the whole reason I went back, actually, that's actually part of the reason I changed roles, actually, from Stryker into Penumbra, was because I missed people. Um, and so I anticipate there'll be some people like me who thought it was great um, and did it for a phase of their career. And there's also going to be a group of people, because there was before the pandemic, a group of people who just really embraced their remote lifestyle. Um, my general experience, though, is it's harder. It's harder from a career standpoint for people to get to know you. And when people get to know you, that's when you get what I was just describing about those fun projects. That that thing that comes off the wall, which is the, maybe this doesn't exactly fit, but could be this incredible growth opportunity for you. Those are harder things, I think, to get. I'm not saying they're not impossible. It's not saying that I'm not trying to find those opportunities for my own team. But I think it just makes it harder when we have a remote workforce. So. Some of it depends on, how, on the kind of product that you're working on. Um, if it's engineering and you're in our vascular or interventional devices, our engineers can't do anything from their houses. They can do some paperwork, but they can't they can't build a catheter from remotely. Like that's a little harder to do. Um, my teams that are in software engineering and game design, they can do that. Um, and so a lot of it is also about the suitability of the role. Um, and if you're someone who'd like that, find the role that fits for you that fits in that remote environment that works. But I think if you're looking to grow into further advanced levels from a management perspective, getting in the office is going to make all the difference in the world for a business like ours, right? So for something like that's in the medical technology space, because fundamentally our interactions with customers are real life. Um, maybe that is something different for this audience. Um, when you work with physicians and therapists, they have to do all of their work in person. They expect to see you in person. So we need to have those in-person skills in our space. I think if you were in a tech startup and you sold everything online, I would be talking a different game. Um, so I don't want to offend anyone who's out there thinking, no, but that doesn't, she's totally wrong right now, right? Um, this is specific to the field that we're in. Um, those conversations, a lot of that is relationship-based because that's how you interact with your patient. That's how you interact with your user. It's a physical thing that you're going to engage with with a person. You've got to have those skills just part of who we are. You know, I mentioned I'm a sales guy in finance and mm -hmm. I had my first client meeting uh, about a month ago in person mm -hmm. in Boston and we went to a steakhouse and a hockey game. It, it was unbelievable. <laughs> I'm not even a hockey fan. Uh, <laughs> but I was like, oh my God, I'm human again. Like to go out and be in public yeah. and to do something and to your point, interact mm -hmm. and, and interface with your, your clients, your colleagues. And, you know, I live about 40 miles outside New York City. I don't miss that four hour day round trip commute. Mm -hmm. um, just this week, we started going back in the office one or two days a week. 
mm-hmm. my, my boss said, Chris, I know you're gonna be online. You don't have to come in. I don't need FaceTime. So if you want to stay remote, mm-hmm. that works for me for now. So we'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but totally appreciate the difference in terms of what, what your industry is, what your end clientele is and what their needs mm-hmm. are. And so uh, great advice. So I appreciate that. Well, the other thing I you know I have to say is this is one of the hardest things for me. And this is just going to be a me thing, right? And you all, everyone listening, enjoy this, right? But like, I'm a little old school, right? I like a whiteboard. Um, I love whiteboarding experience. And part of this is just that we're innovating all day long in our business. Um, and a lot of what we're doing is that innovative concept. I need the whiteboard experience with my team. I'm actually here, just actually outside of New York City right now, Chris, interestingly. Um, I'm actually in Newark. And um, I'm here with a team member because it is completely different to be able to sit for a day and whiteboard and dream and figure out how to get some of that work done. Um, so I'm old school, right? Maybe maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm a dinosaur. I've turned into a dinosaur somewhere along the way. Um, but it's those experiences to me. So even with remote work, I think if people are willing to come in and meet together for those kinds of experiences, I think that also creates a different kind of balance. Um, but I don't think we should be afraid to get together and make it sort of like a hard and fast rule. I think collaboration just creates innovation. Um, and our company has spent so much time innovating and so much of that has come from us around a table going, how do we solve this challenge? We heard this from a customer. What do they need? And I have yet to figure out how to do that effectively in a Zoom or a Teams. We're just not engaged the same way. I'm chuckling about the whiteboard. I have a colleague based in London who the first thing he did when the pandemic started was to buy a whiteboard. Oh, so he could, in, he could interact with people <laughs> via Zoom. And John, if you're listening or watching, you are a dinosaur and it's okay. You know, I'd tell you that to your face. Um, but totally relate to, to the whiteboard uh, example. So I, I totally appreciate that. And along those lines, what advice would you tell your team members or potential mentees who might be struggling on balancing life and work? I think it's just a question about what what do you what's most important to you right um if you understand what's important to you and you accept it um and that's sometimes the hard thing right we have to make choices we make choices every day you make a choice based on what's in your pocketbook and what you're going to go spend money on right think about this as no different that kind of experiences is that what choice do you want to make do you want to invest sometimes some days we invest more right? We put more money away in a savings account. Um, We put money in the stock market. Invest in yourself as well. It's okay to say, I might choose this period of time to invest in my mental health, to invest in me personally, and back off of work a little bit. I think so often we talk about investing in who we are at work because we put such an emphasis on that. It's also okay to say, I need to invest in me because that's going to make me a better person or a better version of me for my work life experience. But know that that may mean that that next promotion that you're looking for may come a little bit later. Um, Think about it as a competition with yourself, not with others. This is a long road, right? Like there's not what you do in the first five years of your career, your first 10 years of your career, you're likely going to work for 30 plus, sometimes 40. If you're going to work for 40 plus years, you don't have to accomplish it all in the first five to 10 years. (laughs) You're going to max out and then go, what's going to happen here? So embrace those experiences, embrace the embrace who you want to be in each phase of who you are, whether that's investing in your personal life and personal choices and the things you want to do in your personal life. I mean, I just somehow run this business, but hiked the rim to the river of the canyon for the first time with my son just a few weeks ago. That was awesome. Um, I've been wanting to do that since the earliest phases of my career. 
probably when I was in better shape, but actually weirdly, I'm probably in better shape now. Crazy. Um, you can do it, right? Just, but don't put off those decisions. Never, there's never going to be a right time. There's never going to be like, oh, everything's perfect. Um, oftentimes parents, people who are looking to be parents will ask me, how did you choose when to have a kid? And I said, I didn't. It just sort of like, it just happened. Like it was just, we were never going to be ready. Um, and so we chose it. And then my career kept doing what my career did because of the choices that we made. Um, we didn't have a nanny. We didn't do any of that kind of stuff. We were lucked out with family day daycare two blocks from our house. That was a lot of luck. Um, I would have never known that I had family daycare two blocks from my house <laughs> until I had that kid. Um, I didn't even know that family daycare was a choice for us. Right? I mean, like kind of crazy stuff. Um, you've got to have some luck along the way and trust that, that that luck will come your way as well. So make the choices that feel right to you. Don't look back. Don't question it. Just if you didn't like the choice you made, decide to make a better one. But invest in yourself, whether that's in your career, whether that's in your personal life, make those choices and know that you can always change them. No one's going to penalize you. It's just about you. I've heard the saying several times that luck is when opportunity meets preparation and mm -hmm. that's you to a T. So let's go back to Penumbra for a minute. How did they get into virtual reality? That's a huge shift uh, in how the company started. So virtual reality was not something that we were intending to do. Um, virtual reality came from a friend, um, a friend who has been doing all sorts of incredible product innovation and has recognized product innovation for a long time. Um, sometimes these things work out. Sometimes eh, they may not be the right fit for us. Um, this experience was incredible. Our CEO, Adam Elsesser, went begrudgingly, I would say. So I said, wait, I'm going to go see a video game company? Why am I doing this? But the friend, this other colleague in this space said, no, 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 you've got to see this. You've got to see this. I think you'll understand. Um, Adam went. He showed up in a, in a strip mall kind of environment. At that time, Adam was, he was a, a corporate attorney. He used to wear suits every day. Um, and so he showed up at this place and went, I'm not going to have been here because sure enough, there's a whole bunch of people wearing all black, right? Designing video games in the dark going, what is going on here? Um, but he got, he jumped in there. He tried this. He was not a gamer in any way, shape or form. He'll tell you this himself, but he was up trying a, a game that was on a castle wall. Um, and it was not the game itself. He got it. He was into it. He was like, okay, this is kind of fun, right? But it wasn't actually until the system malfunctioned a little bit, this was still a tethered headset, and the battery pack started to come out, that he really understood the value. Um, so as the battery pack started to come out, everyone started to yell at him to stop. Um, stop, 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 close your eyes. Um, because essentially what, and Adam, it, 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 Adam is just one of those people that if you tell him what to do, he now wants to see why you want him not to do this, right? This is why he's a CEO and an incredible entrepreneur. Um, an innovator himself. So he kept his eyes open. And what happened was, is the floor went white. So essentially part of the, as the battery pack started to come out, it started to affect and essentially created a technical glitch. And when the floor went white, he fell. <laughs> and he fell. And the moment that he fell, he understood the power of the technology because his brain knew he was standing. He knew he was standing. He knew he was standing on the floor. But when the floor went white in VR, he fell because he believed he was now falling into space. He knew in that moment we could harness that to help patients. Incredible, incredible vision for where we, this would all go. And so it was that exercise that kicked off. How do we bring VR and help our stroke patients? 
How do we manage? How do we get into the neuroplasticity of the brain? We've talked about that for a long time. And that just started to be the, we've got to go do this and bring this to patients. Um, it was born from the passion for stroke and born from the, can Penumbra do this? Can we be this innovative company to do something outside this space? We were confident, we remain confident that we understand the patient space. We understand how to bring new technology into healthcare. We understand how to introduce innovative things to disrupt healthcare. Because you could argue that VR entering into, into the rehab space is a bit disruptive. Um, not what your traditional, what your traditional rehab setting might look like. But how do you do that in a way that embraces not just the patient, but also the therapist? How do you, how do you demonstrate that this technology actually empowers and adds another tool to the world of the therapist themselves? And so today we went from this concept of what I would liken to be sort of like a handheld game where everything is in one unique space to something that is a full platform, such that we're now innovating not just for neuro rehab patients after a stroke, we're innovating for all patients in rehabilitation and beyond. And so we've got a platform technology. We're innovating in, innovating in the hardware space with our unique sensor-based technology in addition to the headset itself in terms of VR. We're innovating across the operating system, what I call the guts of the system. My team cringes when I call it an operating system, but it's the best way that I can describe it. Um, but essentially, it's all the guts that allow for all the technology to connect to each other um, and actually function. Um, it's the iOS. Thank you, Apple. Thank you for that reference. Or I can use Windows as well from Microsoft. Um, if you didn't have Windows, if you didn't have an iOS, MacBooks, your computers, our phones, if you didn't have an Android operating system, it wouldn't work. We had to build our own problems in terms of how do all of our system connect together. Um, we also innovate in content. Um, sometimes you might call this games. We don't think of rehab as a game. We think about it as activities and experiences. Um, and so we're innovating across that space. We have our two almost three full studios um, are of our own, essentially game design studios, as well as a, a VR film production studio internal to Penumbra, as well as multiple partner studios that we're working with to bring new and engaging content for the rehab space, for pain, for so many different areas to our platform. And then the fourth piece to all of this is that we have to have data. Our goal is to one, provide a secure platform that healthcare entities can, can embrace um, knowing that a medical device company is behind this rather than a social media company, for example, but also that we're bringing data immediately back to that therapist and patient experience. That's our first and foremost priority. Our second priority is bringing it into development so we can bring them new features and concepts. So that way that experience between the therapist and that user or the patient themselves at some point in time when they're using this platform on their own, that they can do this in a way that they're getting immediate feedback and having a, the best session that they possibly can with the real system. I'm just going back to the story about Adam for a minute, trying the VR yeah. for the first time. <laughs> and I'm laughing because uh, my nonprofit does some work with Iowa State University and mm -hmm. they have the virtual reality application center. And I was mm -hmm. out there a couple summers ago and same thing. I was in a castle walking on a very narrow stone bridge over a moat and the battery went out and they said, close your eyes. And I didn't, and <laughs> I literally fell to the floor as well. And everyone's laughing. Like we told you, Chris, and we warned you, but uh, so I can totally see what, what Adam did and what he went through and appreciate that. But think about, this is the incredible value of VR is that immersive, there's nothing like that in, that is immersive. You can look at AR augmented reality where you can add images to real life. It doesn't change the fact that you're still generally looking at something in the 2D and, the, and, and what is real. The fact that your brain can be tricked to believe something and for good, 
right? Like really everything we're focused on for healthcare is for good is such that we can help you through rehabilitation. We can help you through mental health challenges. We can help you through pain. We can help with PTSD. There are so many different conditions that that reaction that your brain had, that Adam's brain had, that so many people do. Jeremy Balenson out of Stanford in his lab um, has um, an activity that you can actually do on Steam VR, where you can actually walk a plank um, and you can walk that plank. People believe they're on a plank, even though they're walking just across the floor because of the power that virtual reality has. Um, that is what we're tapping into for the purpose of as advancing healthcare. It's incredible. It is truly incredible. And I just want the listeners and viewers to realize this isn't like your Dave and Buster's type virtual reality. No. This is life-changing, <laughs> life-altering technology. And I've been fortunate enough to, to try some of it. And, you know, I'm just you know thrilled that Penumbra is doing what they do in that space. So with only a few minutes left, mm-hmm. can you tell us what's the most fulfilling part of your work at Penumbra? Oh, it's all about the people. Um, and it always comes down to people. Um, the people are the patients. It's the patients that we help. We've heard so many incredible stories about patients who feel so much better about their rehab experience. Um, it isn't that they didn't have the most amazing therapist. They always love their therapist. Um, but what they find in the VR experience, the therapist and the patients themselves, is how much more rewarding that experience was because they were able to incorporate VR in that experience, whether that's a patient rehabbing a shoulder, whether that's a patient who's an amputee, whether that's a patient who is recovering from a stroke. All of, we've heard patient after patient tell us so many incredible stories. And there is nothing more motivational than that in terms of seeing that experience, something that you have worked on and toiled for, for could be weeks, months, years, have an impact in someone's life. Because you're not just making an impact in that person's life, you're also making an impact in their family's lives as well. And all of the people, all of their loved ones around them. Um, but I can't end with the patient because I also am so excited to see my team blossom. Um, each and every person, this is an incredible opportunity for them to do something completely different and impact people. They're all growing in all new ways. They're stretching themselves in incredible ways. We couldn't do this without them. And I feel just as much responsibility as I do to our patients as it is to our own team for them to continue to career blossom and grow and be who they want to be in their careers. And so really, there is nothing without all of these incredible people. Ida Berry, thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. I'm Chris Meek. We'll see you same time, same place next week. Until then, keep taking your next steps forward. Thanks for tuning in to Next Steps Forward. Be sure to join Chris Meek for another great show next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, make things happen in your life.